Good evening and welcome to Meditation from Sinai, our new fascinating JLI course. <clears throat> Thank you all for being here. Welcome Sherry and Cassie and Diane and Stephen and Cece and Lisanne and Rachel and Angela and Eric and Rich and Valley and Jill. Thank you all for joining us. It's so good to be together once again. Of course, we have our coffee. And we are ready to begin. So, it's a new course. Some of you are here for just for tonight's discussion. Some of you are here for the entire six weeks. It's, uh, it's an important discussion. Meditation. Meditation from Sinai. There's meditation, but then there's meditation from Sinai. We'll start with a rabbi once goes over to Moshe after services and says, Moshe, welcome back. Shalom Aleichem. Moshe turns to the rabbi and says, what are you talking about? I've been here all along. I haven't been anywhere. I've been here today. I've been here yesterday. I've been here the last few weeks. What are you referring to? He says, Moshe, I noticed when you were praying, your mind was wandering to your upcoming trip to London. Well, now that you're back from London, welcome back. Our mind wanders to places outside of where we are now. And we're, we're going to discuss over the next hour and a half and the next few weeks, we're going to journey through fascinating spaces and we're going to discuss meditation, but very much it's, it's really about being present in the moment, being mindful, being aware of your thoughts, etc. So... The, the class is, is titled Meditation from Sinai because it's not just regular meditation, but it's Meditation from Sinai. It's very, we're going to primarily focus on a Jewish meditation. And what we're not going to do is, we're not going to be sitting here for an hour, hour and a half to have a mini meditation retreat. We're not going to be doing that, but we are going to have some actual meditation. We're going to see a little video from Rabbi Label Wolf from Australia who is a, a leading figure in this field, and he, we're going to do some meditation, but just for a few minutes during every class, but for the most part, we're going to be studying the spiritual technology behind meditation, how it works, how it could be used, what type of tools do we have, what is the benefit, etc. So it's going to be part academic and part experience. So when we're talking about meditation, how do we envision meditation? What is meditation? What are you thinking of when you're thinking of someone meditating or yourself meditating? So whatever vision you have, it's correct. Because there is no set image for meditation. There's a very broad definition for meditation. Meditation in the dictionary is to engage in contemplation or reflection. That's what it is. The word medita meditation comes from the Latin word meditari, which means to think, contemplate, devise, ponder. So, truthfully, we are all chronic meditators. We're constantly thinking about things. We're thinking, is the food good? Is this class going to be good? What am I doing after class? Where am I going tomorrow? My next vacation? my business meeting tomorrow, my family, we're constantly thinking. 
and thinking is meditating. The goal is to be in control of these thoughts. That the thoughts that come through our mind, we should have control over them and not just the unconscious mind's mind that constantly thinks. I think your service is ending. <laughs> okay. So, we're obviously here tonight, the Jewish class. We're studying Torah, and that's what I'm best at, teaching Torah. I'm not a guru. I'm not a guru, and seemingly, what does this have to do with Judaism? What does that have to do? I mean, you can, you can sign up. I'm sure there are many places you could go. Perhaps we think of meditation, we think of other religions. You know, meditations in the Far East or other places. What does this have to do with Judaism? So, before we get to, into the actual meditation, it's important to note that meditation is synonymous with Judaism. In fact, historically, we know that our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they meditated. The earliest known records of meditation are from India around 1500 BCE. So we're talking about roughly 3,500 years ago. When did Abraham walk this planet? Abraham lived 1800 BCE. We're talking about 3,800 years ago, which means hundreds of years before there was some type of meditation in India. Our forefathers had some form of meditation. Where do we know this? Look at text number one. <clears throat> text number one talks about our forefathers being shepherds. Why were they th shepherds? There could have been other uh, occupations that they could have chose. They could have been peddlers, they could have been builders, they could have been, you know, I'm sure there's other, other areas in life where they could have uh, cont uh, contributed to the society. But no, they chose to be shepherds. So here we have from the Midrash Talpiot. And he writes as follows. The patriarchs chose to be shepherds so that they could be alone in the wilderness, where the air is clean and pure, and they would be far from other people, for the sake of secluding themselves in divine meditation. <coughs> So the patriarchs spent their time away from civilization to be able to meditate to God. Now, we don't know what their specific meditation was. I wish I did. But we don't know what, what was their thought process, what was their meditation. But we do know that they developed a keen spiritual awareness and a deep relationship with Hashem, with God, by being secluded by being away from other people, by being away from civilization, having the time to meditate, to think, without distraction. In addition to that, we know that in Judaism we pray, not just once a day, we pray three times a day. Lots of prayer, right? We have a thick prayer book. What's prayer really all about? Prayer is saying the words, you know, beseeching God, that is the basic of prayer, but there's more to prayer. In fact, the word prayer in Hebrew 
defines what prayer is really all about. Tefillah is the word for prayer in Hebrew. And tefillah has numerous interpretations. And a few of them really connote the idea of meditation. So you see this on on figure 1.1 on page 4. One of the meanings of tefillah is the word hatofel. Hatofel klicheres, which means to glue an earthenware vessel. So to glue, to attach, to bond, to unite. And what's the idea of prayer? A contemplative practice of cementing our relationship with the divine. So we see that meditation is not foreign at all to Judaism. In fact, the Mishnah tells us that when we pray, we're supposed to spend some time before prayer to kind of get ourselves in the right mode of prayer. You come to synagogue, the first thing you open the prayer book, you start, you start shuckling, right? You start praying. Wait, hold it, hold it. Not so fast. Text two. We must approach prayer with reverence. The early pious sages would pause in thought for one hour so that they could focus their hearts on God and only then pray. Take some time. Think about something. Think about the greatness of God. Think about who you are. Who am I? And I'm I'm about to approach God. What is this relationship all about? That's what prayer is. It's a meditative exercise. That's what it's meant to be. I'll throw in a quick plug. Our Thursday morning class on prayer. We've been doing this for a few months now. We've just gone through the, the morning prayers, the morning blessings, I should say. We're, we're starting the morning prayers. And we're talking about, we're discussing the meaning behind prayers, how it's more than just what you're reading, just the, the, the literal translation, but there is so much depth and meaning to prayer. It's really about enhancing this relationship that we have with God. You have any questions? Any questions before we go further? Okay. So, <clears throat> so, so, so having said that, how meditation is very much connected to Judaism, we are going to focus on a very unique Jewish form of meditation. Because there are numerous types of meditation. There's meditations which are forbidden for a Jew to practice. They are foreign to Judaism. They are perhaps considered avodah zarah, considered idol idol worship. So we have to be careful with many of the types of meditations that are out there today. Like the old, one of the oldest book when you become a rabbi, they give you a book of jokes, right? So you got to do all, 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 the, you know, all the, the typical traditional jokes before you get on to your new jokes. So one of the oldest jokes in the rabbi's book of jokes is that there was once a Jewish mother who was looking for their, who was looking, was trying to meet a specific guru who was in the mountains of Nepal. And she travels all the way to Nepal and she tries to find where, she, where this person is. There's no address. It's between a few mountains and, and some type of cave. She travels. She takes a, a car and a train and a, and a, bu- a buggy and, and, and walking. And the, days and days and days, finally she reaches this mountain. She wants to enter into this cave, but there's a guard standing over there. says, no, the guru is busy. 
It's an important meditation. I'm sorry, you can't come in. And she says, I must. This is an emergency. I have to speak to the guru. Finally, he's granted permission. He, she comes into the cave and she says, Joshua, enough already. Time to come home. <laughs> well, the point is that there are certain meditations we got to be careful of. There are other meditations which are what we call pariv. Uh, neutral, neutral. But what we're going to focus on tonight is organically Jewish forms of meditation. And why not? There is so much in Judaism that teach us of how to use our minds to meditate. There's so many beautiful, beautiful ideas to contemplate on. Why do we have to go to something, something else? We have, we have it with us, within us, within our, our heritage, within our Torah, and therefore we're going to be focusing on some Jewish concepts of meditation. What we're going to do for the next six weeks, uh, next week we're going, to talk, we're going to talk about spirituality, which could seem sometimes a little bit abstract, so use uh, some, some, some ideas to think about, to, to meditate on, to have a, a more of a sensitivity to the, the, the spirituality within us and around us. Lesson three, we're going to talk about divine presence. We'll learn to cultivate a profound awareness of God around us. In lesson four, we're going to talk about living in the moment. We'll be learning the depth that Jewish meditation adds to mindfulness and to be able to value and to be fully present at each moment. Lesson five, bringing meditation to your life. We'll be applying our Jewish meditation to practical areas of life. And finally, in lesson six, we're going to be talking about active meditations. We'll learn the relationship between meditation and action. But tonight, what's most important, right, living in the now. What are we doing tonight? Tonight we're talking about mind control. Robert, Learn a mind control exercise Robert, that can help us overcome negative feelings and emotions and create positivity. I need your help. So although meditation is generally there in Judaism to enhance our and strengthen our relationship with God, but there's also a fringe benefit. That's the one. Every time I say the word fringe benefit, I'm reminded of this joke when I was a little kid. Someone once asked me, what's the Jewish way of saying a talit, a prayer shawl? I'm sorry. What's the Jewish way to say the out. reward that we receive from Hold wearing on. a talit? Unplug that one. Fringe benefit. Okay. Ah, okay. I just have to say that. Okay, going back to where we, where, where we are today. So what is what are the fringe benefit, a side benefit to meditation in Judaism is that it also can be used as a practical tool to living a more balanced and healthy life. I know that's the one so that's one making noise now. So one of the most common right reasons why yeah. people seek out meditation is to reduce negative experiences or stress, whether it's anger, or hurt, or anxiety, worry, frustration, self-doubt, embarrassment, whatever it is, right? You have a negative emotion, and we want to reduce it. We want to get rid of it. We want to minimize it. So I'm going to use meditation. So Jewish meditation can also be harnessed as a tool to overcome negative emotions.
So this is what we're going to discuss tonight. We can all think back at a moment, at an experience that was a negative experience for us. It had a negative impact on our psyche. And we had whatever reaction, whatever emotional reaction. We were ashamed, we were embarrassed, we were hurt, we got angry, we were anxious, we were stressed out. We were upset, we were sad. I mean, whatever it was, right? We had that experience. We could take a moment to think about that, right? We had that experience. And sometimes we say, well, how could I change that? This is, that that's, just, that's just the fact of life. That's just what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do to change that. But the truth is, we could change our emotions. And how is that? When the Jewish people were leaving out to a war, the Kohen would speak to them and say, don't be afraid of going out to war. Let me ask you, as a parent, your child is afraid, and you tell them, don't be afraid. Don't be stressed out. Don't be anxious. What happens? They say, historically, Every time a husband told their wife, don't be anxious, don't be stressed out, you know what happened? Just like that, the stress went away. Right? That never happened, right? You can't force someone not to be stressed out. What? Don't be stressed out, don't be stressed out. Okay, I get it, but I am stressed out. What should I do about it, okay? So, what does it mean when the Kohen would tell the people, don't be afraid, don't be fearful? So, obviously, there is a method, there is something we could do to control our negative feelings, our negative emotions. And this is where mind, uh, mind control, meditation, comes in. We can use our mind to control our negative emotions. But before we go into that, we have to preface with understanding the human, uh, the consciousness of, of of the human being. Understand what we're wired of, how we are built, what we are made of, to understand how we could control it. So, if you ever Google Kabbalah, okay, what do you think comes up? Something that looks similar to this. You see this on page 10, if you have the book in front of you. This is an old... Uh, this is a depiction of a uh, Kabbalist who lived in the, mi- the mid-13th century, Rabbi Yosef ben Avraham Gikatila, if, if I'm pronouncing that right, from Spain. But look at that, you have that famous uh, design of the ten functions, the ten faculties, the ten attributes of the human psyche. You have it on page 10, printed out nicely. Zoom out so we can all see it. Okay. So these are the ten attributes of the soul. This is who we are. This This is the makeup. This is who we are. And as you see, as you notice, it's broken down into two categories. 
Category number one is our intellect, our mind. Our intellect is the, the mental and cognitive life. There are three powers, there are three functions, the Chachma, Bina, Das, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. This is the mind, this is the brain, this is the objective thinking. This is the power that we collect data, we analyze, we judge it, we make determinations based on it. Right? This is the capacity to think objectively, to understand and to problem solve. Our seichel, as we say in Yiddish, right? our mind. Right? Did your parents ever tell you, where's your seichel? You left it at home, right? Where's your seichel? Right? Your intellect. Okay. But then there's <laughs> the next seven functions. And these are the functions of the heart, our emotions, our feelings, the emotional response capacity. This is the subjective feelings, both positively and negatively. We employ them to love, to hate, to get excited, to get angry, to be happy or sad. Right? This is the part of us that makes us drawn to certain things that are repulsed by others. Okay, so we have these two categories. This is who we are. Our mind and our heart. Right? Everything, that, everything about us could be put into these two categories. Either it's my mind or it's my heart. Either it's my intellect or my emotions. Now, in addition to this, and for those of you who have studied the Tanya are well aware of this concept, that in addition to the, the, the seichel and the midas, the intellect and our emotions, we also have what we call the garments of the soul. The garments of the soul. Which is, how do these things, these, our intellect and our emotions, express itself? So the garments are like the, the, the functions, the interface, the, the, the modes of expression of our intellect and our emotions. So for example, we have over here, a smartphone. A smartphone has an operating system. It could be an Android, it could be an Apple, right? So there's an operating system. The operating system is like the human being themselves, the intellect and the emotions. But if you don't have any nice apps, what are you going to do with it? Nothing. You can't use it. It's a great operating system, but there are no apps to benefit, to express it. And this is where our garments of the soul, we have three garments, as you see on the screen, machshava, dibur, and ma'aseh, th thought, speech, and action. These are what we call the three garments of the soul. I can have a feeling, but this feeling is expressed through thought, speech, and action. Even our intellect has to be expressed through thought. There's thinking and then there's understanding. There are two different things, right? You could think about something that you don't understand. Is that possible? Yes. Think. Two plus two is five. You thought that? Yes. Do you understand that? No, right? There's intellect. Then there's thinking. You can think about something even if it's not something that's understood. So there is intellect that's being expressed through our thought, speech, and action. Generally, generally, 
our the function of our of our uh, psyche is really a linear type of function, which means our intellect is supposed to affect and influence, impact our emotions. So we think about something. Wow, this is great. I love it. It's good. I'm sorry. Intellectually, it's good. Therefore, I love it. I also have I develop an emotion to it. How is this done? Through thought process. So we're going to leave the idea of speech and action for now. We're going to focus on the garment of thought. Machshava. That when you are thinking about something, you are expressing your intellect and and your emotions. Okay? So you know where we're going now with this. We have emotions, but we are the emotions are only expressed through thought, speech, and action. So, if I have a negative emotion, I feel stressed out. I feel angry about something. Why did my neighbor have to do it? Why did my rabbi have to do it? Right? We're, we're upset! And it's justifiable! I was, I was in the right, they were in the wrong, right? So we are angry. It's a negative emotion. And one day we wake up, we say, you know what? Enough is enough. I want to get rid of this negative emotion. So what do I do? So there are numerous avenues, there are numerous, numerous paths that we can take. The hard way is to deal with the actual emotion. Fix the emotion. Fix the problem itself. That's one path. Another path which is easier and it's not any less effective is to deal with the expression of this emotion. Like I mentioned earlier, you buy a computer, if there are no apps, whatever's on the computer, whether it's a virus or not, who cares? Because there's no way for it to express itself, because there are no apps. So when we want to control our emotions, one of the ways of doing this is using our machshava, using our thought process, our garment of expression. Control that. It's a lot easier to control our machshava, control our thought, than it is to control our feelings. So when we control the thoughts that come into our minds, you could come in. You have no permission to come in. Don't come in. Wait, you, you could come in. You, this thought, I allow you into my mind. Uh-huh. This thought, I'm sorry. You have no entry. No entry pass. You can't come in. You're not welcomed. You have a thought that brings you down, that, brings you, that makes you angry. Don't think about it. We're in control of our thoughts. I know what you're thinking. Oh, very, very easy to say that. How is that done? We'll get to that. We'll, 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 uh, we'll expound on, on this concept. Wait, I thought you said a, little, a few sentences ago that you can't control your thoughts, but you can control the garment. Our thoughts are our garments. We can't control our intellect and our emotions. We, can. we cannot. It's who we are. It's the makeup of the human being. I can't say you can't. It's a lot harder. 
It's a lot harder. The Tanya talks about it, that this is like already an advanced level of service of God. But definitely for the 99%, it's very, very difficult to change our actual emotions. It's a lot easier to control the expression of our emotions. You understand the difference? Yes. There's the emotion itself, and then there is, is it being expressed or not? It's dormant. It's, it's, it's not being expressed, so it's there. Well, who cares? And how is it being expressed? Through our garment, which is our thought. When we think about the incident, when we think about what makes us angry, then we are angry. We are expressing this emotion. When the emotion is not being expressed at all, so it's not being expressed, we don't feel it. There was once a chassid that came to one of the great Hasidic masters known as the Magid of Mezrich. Mezrich was a town in Ukraine. Today it's still Ukraine. We don't know, we don't know what's going to be tomorrow, but today it's Ukraine. And he came with a question. He says, I have a problem. I don't have control of my mind. I don't have control over the thoughts that enter my mind. What do I do? Well, the Magid strokes his long white beard, I'm sure. And he says, I have the perfect person to answer this question. Travel to the town of Zhitomir in western Ukraine. And seek out Rabbi Zev of Zhitomir. I think he may have some, uh, you know, a good answer for you. Okay, he travels all the way to Zhitomir. It's a, it's, a, it's a cold day in February. He travels through the snow. He makes a trek. He's extremely weak. He's extremely tired. He's extremely cold. He finally finds the home. He knocks on the door and no answer. He knocks, he knocks a little harder and he peeks through the window and he sees that Rabbi Zeb is sitting right there next to the door. There's no way he doesn't hear the knock. He knocks again and again and he's standing there for quite a while and he's wondering, Rabbi Zev, have some pity on an old man sitting outside, freezing cold. I made the trek. Open the door. Let me in. No answer. Finally, after a while, he's let in with a broad smile. Welcome in. I'm so glad you came to visit. Here's your room. Here's the fireplace. Let's have a hot tea together. Let's schmooze. I'm so glad you came. After a while, he finally warmed his little, his cold bones up and he says, listen, I came here. I have a question for you. How the, the Magid, our teacher, sent me to you to ask you, what do I do? How do I control the thoughts coming into my mind uncontrollably? Now, what did Rabbi Zev say? You are the owner of your house. You are the boss of your house. You are in control who comes in and who doesn't. He realized that Rabbi Zev answered his question even before he walked through the doors. I decide who comes in and who doesn't. And this was the message that Rabbi Zev was telling him. Thoughts, it's a garment. Garments could be put on, garments could be taken off. We all know that garments, we have many, we open the closet, so many different clothes, right? For different occasions. When I'm, in the, when I'm home, I'm wearing this garment. I'm expressing myself in this manner. When I'm going to a wedding, I have those garments. Now I'm being expressed at the you know, with the, with the atmosphere of the wedding. 
At work, I have those garments. When I'm skiing, I have these garments. When I'm sleeping, I have these garments, right? We have different garments. And we take them off and we put them on. We change, we switch, right? All the time. Our thoughts, our garments could be switched. We could think this. We could, you know what? Let me change. I'm going to th- I have other thoughts now, right? You're in control. You're in control. So this is easier said than done. But this is the, this is the goal. The goal is... When we control our thoughts, it controls our emotions. Because our emotions are there, but it's not being expressed. And we see this in text 5, which is directly from the Tanya. Tanya chapter 12. And in text 5, it reads as follows. The mind naturally controls the heart. Humans were created from birth with the ability to exercise willpower to control the drives of our hearts so that they not be expressed in our behavior, speech, and thought. We see here the three uh, garments of the soul. We are able to divert our attention completely from things our hearts crave to something entirely different, right? So we're not talking about controlling our, our emotions, but we're talking about divert our attention. Our attention is our thoughts. That's the main thing to divert our attentions. And this really changes, has an effect long-term. It actually does have an effect on the actual emotion. Because eventually, the longer it's there and it's not being expressed, it dissipates, right? How often are we so angry about something and we don't let ourselves get worked up and the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, eh, forget about it. No big deal, right? So if we don't allow ourselves to get worked up, we don't allow ourselves for this emotion to take us over, so then over time, it really, really dissipates. Yes, question? Mm-hmm. It says, uh, created from birth with the ability to exercise willpower to control the drives of our hearts so that they not be expressed in our behavior, speech, or thought. Is that akin to biting your tongue? Well, biting your tongue you know? is the idea of not speaking. Right. Right? So speech is one of the right. garments. Exactly. That's like one of the garments. So if you hold yourself back from expressing it, that's it. It wasn't, it wasn't expressed. So there is action and there's, and, and there's speech, but that's really expressing it to others. But then there's the garment of thought, which is expressing it for you, to yourself. Right? So biting your tongue is, I don't want the other person. Right. But then there is biting your thoughts, which means controlling what goes into your mind. Not only don't talk about it, don't even think about it. Talking about it, not talking about it, might save you from having others involved in this issue. Not think about it has given you, you yourself are not involved in the issue. But what if it's something that rightfully so bother, really bothers you? Okay, that's a good question. The question is, Sometimes it's important. I mean, it's, it's an issue that, that's come. You have to deal with it. You can't run away from it, right? right. Something's happening that you have to deal with it. Okay, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a separate issue. Here we're talking about someone who has negative emotions and they want to get rid of it, meaning they want to find a way to, it shouldn't bog us down. We should, we should kind of be able to move on. It's bothering us, right? So obviously, if it's something that you have to deal with, then you have to deal with it, right? So that's a little, a little bit of a different... Uh, but perhaps we'll get back at the end of the discussion. Maybe we can but revisit can have, this question. But you can have the thought, or it bothers you, but not say it out loud. Well, each each of these 
garments is more and more concrete. So the thought is really all about you, more, it's more for yourself. Speech is ready for others. And then action is really making it real and, and palatable. So the more uh, you hold yourself back, the less of an effect it has, right? So if you did something because of it, ooh, that's really hard to take back, right? If you spoke about it to others, eh, it's also a little difficult because other people know about it. I only thought about it, okay, it's only me. But even with that, at least it, ha it had an effect on me. If I didn't even think about it. So no one's affected. Not others and not myself. Good point. Okay. took about a 15 second break. During this 15 seconds, I'm assuming your mind was thinking. Why am I assuming so? Because our minds never stop to think. No, no right? We could, we, could, we, could, we could bite our tongue, right? We could stop think, uh, speaking, but we're always thinking. And what were we thinking about? I don't even know. What was I thinking during the last 20 seconds? I don't know, right? Something maybe we do know, right? It could be random things. It could be thinking about what we just discussed now. It could be thinking about what's going on at home. What's for, what's for dinner tonight? Or is this dinner good or not? And by the way, thank you, Chaim Lushka, for the dinner tonight. It could be, right? We could be thinking about multiple things, right? How many thoughts a day do we think? Do we know? What's your guess? Thousands. Thousands. Every day, roughly, about 6,000 thoughts go through our mind. There used to be a myth, he said 70,000, but that was debunked. 6,000 thoughts go through our minds. It's a lot of thoughts. How many of these thoughts do we actually, are we conscious of? At the end of the day, I'm writing my diary. Dear diary, today I thought of A, B, C, how many thoughts could we write down? What did I think of today? I mean, we could probably come up with many thoughts, but 6,000? Nothing close to it. Because the majority of these thoughts, almost all of these thoughts, are unconscious thoughts. They're just, are, like we said, our mind is always thinking. And we don't even know what we're thinking. We're daydreaming. Or we're not daydreaming, right? So many thoughts come to our mind. So, the, the goal is to deliberately think of certain things or not think about certain things. Because all of these thoughts, even our, our unconscious thoughts, have an effect. Because ultimately they are, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about things that are in our heart or mind, right? So everything has even a subconscious effect on us. So we can be feeling down one day and we perhaps don't even know why because unconscious thoughts are coming through our mind that are causing us to be down, to be upset, right? So these negative emotions are coming through thoughts that sometimes we don't even know, we don't, we're not even cognizant of these thoughts. So the idea of mind control is to be more aware 
of the thoughts going through our mind and take control of these thoughts. Mind control. And the more we have control over these thoughts, the more we will see that we are not feeling that negative emotions anymore, or not as much. It definitely reduces it. We're going to get to in a moment some tools. How is that done? How do you control your, your thoughts? But there's a very interesting letter. I'm not going to read the whole letter. It's a long letter in text 6. And this is from the rabbi, the Tzemach Tzedek, he's known, he's the third Chabad Rebbe. And he wrote to a uh, relative of his, Rabbi Shlomo Freitas, who in his elderly years felt a little powerless. He didn't have the, the, the power, the mind power to really study properly or to pray properly. And he was kind of like complaining to the Tzemach Tzedek. Tzemach Tzedek was his daughter's father-in-law. Their children married each other. And there's an interesting letter over here. I, want, I just want to read and I, the, the third paragraph, beginning with removal. He talks about that we have to divorce ourselves from the uh, think, thinking about things that cause us to be uh, upset or sad. And he continues in, uh, in paragraph number three. Removal of the thought leads to dissipa dissipation of the fear because emotions are entirely reliant upon intellectual focus, dot, for their existence, which requires active thought. Therefore, by removing our thought from the matter, the intellectual power, dot, is withdrawn from the emotion with the result that the emotion ceases to be activated. Okay, I think because of we, we prefaced the, 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 the consciousness the, uh, of the human psyche, so we, we, I think we have a better understanding of what he's saying over here. It is worth training yourself to remove, remove all negativity, for we must rid ourselves from all fear, including justifiable fear, as I, as I wrote. This is certainly true in your case, where there is no, nothing to worry about whatsoever, thank God, in terms of your health and financial uh, situation. So as you see, what he says over here is, that removing our thought from the matter, that withdraws the emotion. So here we come to the question of, so how is it done? How do we control our thoughts? I wish I could control my thoughts, but, but like we said, thoughts are, are constantly... Our mind is constantly thinking. So how do we control it? What happens when someone calls? Hey, I'm calling you from your car warranty. Your warranty is uh, expired. Da, da, da. What do we do? Do we say, please, uh, can you check up my car? I'm, I think you might have the wrong number. Do we engage in conversation? What do we say? Eh, hang up. Sorry. Next. Two minutes later, we'll call back either way. All right? All right? You hang up the phone. Can we just hang up our minds? We can't hang up our minds because... We are co we're constantly thinking. There's no end call button in our minds. Sometimes we wish there was. We w I wish there was, of course, right? Like Stephanie said, there's an end call with our tongue. We could bite our tongue. We could withdraw from speaking. Okay, I stopped the conversation. 
cold turkey. And it happens sometimes where you're talking, you say, you know what? Okay, I, I, I'm just stopping, right? You can, you can stop from, you can stop yourself from, from, from speaking, words you don't want to talk, but thinking, thinking is thinking. How do you stop these thoughts from coming into your mind? <clears throat> so the answer is, you can't stop thinking. What you could do is, you could replace one thought with another thought. So instead of stopping to think, just switch channels. Think about something else. Think about something positive. Don't try to struggle with that thought. It's not going to work. If I tell you, don't think about something, what's going to happen? You're going to think about it. In fact, we're going to do a quick experiment. See if it works on us. Okay? 15 seconds. I want you to think about anything in the world. Don't, and I repeat, don't think about a polar bear. Okay? For 15 seconds, if a polar bear comes to mind, Let's be honest, even if it's kind of a far away, small little polar bear back, you know, all the way up the mountain, if we think of a polar bear, give a clap. Okay? 15 seconds. We'll see if it works. This is an experiment. We're starting at the count of three. One, two, three. We thought about a polar bear a couple of times. Yeah. 15 seconds, all it takes, right? Can't control your mind for 15 seconds. It's all because you said it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Why did I say it? Because when, we, when a negative thought comes to mind, and we tell ourselves, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, you know what's going to happen? It's not going to leave. It's going to keep on knocking on your window. It's not going to go away. Because you are thinking about it just in the negative, but it's still there. So therefore, instead of fighting the thought, just move on to a different channel. Think about something else. Replace it with other positive thoughts. That's the key. Think of something that you do enjoy talking, thinking about. Think about something that brings you joy. Think about something that makes you happy. But, but the thing is, like, so we were trying to do that, but you heard us all clapping, so we were thinking about the program. Because it was an exercise. Because you knew that you can't think about polar bears. But if you just told yourself, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm not think, I'm not, I am not not thinking about polar bears. I'm going to think about my daughter in, in New York and how cold she is tonight. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm not not thinking about polar bears. I'm just thinking about something else, something that I want to think about. Right? So as long as it, it, it's not... I'm, it's not the negative. It's not that, I'll think about something else, not this. That's not going to work. Just think about something else. Okay. Choose something specific. Okay. See, I didn't tell you to choose something specific. I didn't tell you, think about X, Y, and Z, not that. Okay, that's something else. I told you, think about anything. So anything, so now your mind is wandering and you're trying to, to convince yourself not to think about a polar bear. That doesn't work. But if you choose, okay, I'm thinking about something specific. I'm going to think about a movie I just watched. 
I'm going to think about a book that I really enjoyed. I'm going to think about my family, which I enjoy. I'm going to think about uh, whatever, right? Something specific that makes me happy. That is what I'm going to think, be thinking about. My mind will kind of wander into that thing. If it's something that I enjoy thinking about, it's going to, it's going to go. And then, and then it'll work for a while. It's not, uh, it's not, work for, it's not, it's not everlasting. Okay, so you've so you got to do this every once in a while. When these thoughts, when these negative thoughts come to mind, don't push it away. Just think about something else. The Rebbe says that perhaps it's good to think about, obviously, Torah thoughts. A Torah thought that we learned, that we, that we studied. Think about something positive, something godly, something Torah, and obviously it will help um, get these thoughts away. We're going to do now a short five or four minute meditation. I we'll have it on the video. I encourage you to follow the steps of the video to kind of do this meditation. If not, you, you want to watch it, you can watch it as well. I think it's a powerful message of this idea of positive thinking, which takes away, which, which not, not only think, changes our minds, but also changes our emotions as well. Thoughts produce feelings. Therefore, even a microsecond of thought in any situation produces an emotion. If we have negative emotions, we can simply displace them by replacing them with a new thought. Not a difficult process. And let me share with you a meditation to try to carry out that particular function. So gently close your eyes and just become aware of the flow of your thoughts. What thoughts are flowing through onto the screen of your consciousness? And as you become aware of the thought, see if you can identify a feeling that arises as a consequence of that thought. I would like you to take yourself back to a moment, to a time when you might have been embarrassed, a situation of personal embarrassment. Try to locate that particular incident, refreshing it in your mind. Note all the points that cause the embarrassment. Become aware of the people who are present. And become acutely aware of your feelings of embarrassment at that time.
And now, let's switch that thought. I want you to think back to a moment when you were supremely happy, ecstatic, somewhere in your life where you felt absolute joy. Recall that moment. Where were you? Who was there? Can you recall the voices? The colors? The background sounds? And now consider where did that image of embarrassment of a few moments ago disappear? The feelings went away because new thoughts were brought into the consciousness of your mind. Let's try that again. Now think back to a time where you hurt yourself physically, maybe injured yourself, sprained an ankle. Take yourself back there and feel the pain. Simulate it. Recognize how you felt. Even complex feelings. Beyond the pain. Consequences. And now, turn your mind to a birthday party in your honor that you may have experienced as a child, as an adult. What is going on at the party? Who is there? Singing. Maybe a cake. Maybe candles. How do you feel? That same happiness has been recreated. What happened to that feeling of hurt and pain of a few moments ago when you hurt yourself back then? You changed your thoughts and therefore your feelings changed. Let's learn an important lesson. Moach Shalit Al-Halev. The mind determines the outcomes of the emotions. Change your mind and you change your feelings. When feeling down, depressed, 
change your thoughts. And in so doing, your whole emotional makeup transforms in the same moment. pretty good I think <laughs> but this is something that we could uh, take with us in, in different times even during the day to kind of to think about that just to kind of use our mind our thoughts to to move our uh, our our focus our attention to something more positive so that is one you know the, 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 the main idea of the class to tell us mind control it's only our thoughts, not working on it. We're not changing our emotions, but just changing our thoughts really, really has an impact on our emotions as well. Any questions before we move on? Rabbi, was that Rabbi uh, Wolf from Chicago? No, this is Rabbi Wolf from Australia. Oh. Yes, right. there are many Rabbi Wolves. Close, close <laughs> okay. Now, to take this a step further, the idea of positive thought, because we are told that thinking positively is not only a life hack to help us with our personal negative emotions, but it really also shapes the world around us. When we have positive thoughts, it has positive results, meaning things around us work differently. There's a positive energy in the ear because of our positive thoughts. In that same letter that we, we read part of it in text six, that Samach Sadek mentions an interesting anecdote that happened in his life with his grandfather, Rabbi Shneur Zaman, the author and the, of the Tanya, the founder of the Chaban movement. We know that the Alter Rebbe, as we refer to him, passed away on a Saturday night. He was traveling, he was running away from Napoleon. It was winter, it was um, probably like January or February in the English calendar, and he was traveling, he was staying at someone's home for Shabbos. He passed away late Saturday night. His family was with him. You could only uh, imagine the, the feeling, the mood in, in, in the room, in the house over that Shabbos that Samach said, like, this rabbi was there. And he writes in the letter that when he was praying the evening service Saturday night, he was kind of singing like a, like, like a more of a serious uh, uh, tune, uh, a, a, a melancholy tune to the prayers. Because obviously it fit the mode, the mood that he was in then. And the Alter Rebbe, his grandfather, heard him and says, no, no, no. When you sing this type of song now, you are uh, kind of setting the tone and bringing in like this this negative or sad energy in the house sing something joyous do something happy have positive thoughts so what's the spiritual science behind this you know today there's a philosophy that is gaining a lot of attention called the the law of attraction right that 
the, the, our positive thinking brings about positive results. And you can argue for, argue against, but the Kabbalah and Hasidus teaches that no, this is very, very true. This is extremely, extremely right on target. The, the world, we know that God, the same way we have our ten functions, our ten attributes, God also has attributes. And God creates the world with a proper balance, with some kindness, with some severity, with, this, with, with the, the balance of the different functions, the different attributes. And we, in a way, are in control of what attribute of God should be shining, should be, uh, you know, felt at that moment. So the Zohar says that really what we do, the way the thought that we have, have control over that energy that is drawn down from above. I want to read this inside in text 10. On page 20. This is from the Zohar. Come and observe. That was a very common opening to a passage of the Zohar. Come and observe. Our, spirit, our world is always ready to receive the spiritual flow that emanates from above. The upper world provides in accordance with the emotional state below in this world. If the state below is joyous, then, correspondingly, abundance flow from above. But if the state below is one of sadness, then, correspondingly, the flow of blessing is constricted. We are therefore directed, serve God with joy, because mortal joy elicits corresponding supernal joy. And the Baal Shem Tov adds to this, and he writes that it's almost like a TV channel. You're flipping channels. And every channel has a different show, different people, and has a different type of influence on the person. If I tune into CNN, it's not the same as Fox, and it's not the same as uh, other channels, right? And each channel gives us their worldview. They kind of shape your mind, whether you like it or not. So we have the ability to flip channels. When we, when we tune into a certain channel, we are in control of the, the moment. We are setting the stage for our environment. So when we think positive thoughts, it not only personally it helps my negative emotions, but it sets the stage for a more of a positive energy. And like you saw earlier from one of the letters from the Rebbe, that it's important not only to do this in a moment of crisis, crisis, but to do this on a regular, steady, routine basis. Set time, perhaps every morning. And we don't have to go very far. And the prayers itself, we have what's called the morning blessings. And for those of you who are following our sitter class on Thursday mornings, we have just concluded discussing the significance, the meaning of each of the morning blessings. And what a beautiful way to start the day in a very positive manner. Talking about gratitude. Thank you God for this. Thank you God for that. Very uplifting. As we spoke about 
uh, how lucky we are to, uh, to, 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 to be chosen by God, to have the ability to have a relationship with God, to serve God, to pray to God, right? It's a very positive, uplifting prayers. So when we set time every morning for these positive thoughts, it sets the tone around us as well. It draws down these positive energies. And it really, really can make a real difference. So the law of attraction from the, the spiritual science, it's very, very real. Because our thoughts actually do draw down the, what the energy that brings out the results. So it is a real thing from a spiritual perspective. We're going to do another short video talking about this idea of meditation, of thinking positive with a, every, uh, positively every morning when we are thanking God in our morning prayers. Before we do that, give me a second. I think I have to do something over here. No matter what yesterday was all about, tomorrow is a fresh day. You're going to begin painting on a new canvas, creating a very different picture, again, one of your choice. We do that spiritually every day when we say in the morning the affirmation Ani. And what characterizes a new day is to begin initially with gratitude because from a posture of gratitude you can paint a beautiful picture of the coming day. Gently close your eyes. Allow your shoulders to slump a little. Feeling warm and heavy warm and heavy feeling your arms your legs warm and heavy inducing the relaxation response feeling calm peaceful and serene. You have much to be thankful for and each morning express gratitude because the gratitude that you express is able to begin the painting of a new canvas a new creation, a new picture of the day. Mode Ani. I thank you, Hashem, for bringing back to me this morning a freshness of soul, consciousness, and awareness 
מודה אני. I thank you, Hashem, for providing me with the freedom to express myself today, truly. מודה אני. I thank you, Hashem, for allowing me to be distinctive, original, unique, so that my soul can make its unique contribution to the world. Modani. I thank you, Hashem, for changing the world every day in front of my eyes, giving me the scope to be able to play my individual role. in the whole process that leads to a destiny that I am part of. Hashem, I feel indebted. I feel gratitude. Thank you, Hashem. Today will be a new day. But another beautiful, beautiful meditation. <clears throat> so we have spent learning about the spiritual technology. <clears throat> But it's also very much a practical technique to greatly enhance our lives. This is something that takes practice. It doesn't happen like that, but it's something that we could easily seemingly work on because we don't need to necessarily sign up for some course. We can do it at home. You can do it when you're driving. You can do it when you're shopping. Just kind of take a few moments and just to think about something specific. Be more in control of our thoughts. And, but in addition to that, we should also set time during each day to try to meditate on these ideas perhaps a few minutes before we start our morning prayer. First of all, we should try to incorporate some morning prayers in our routine. In addition to that, for those of us who are already doing the morning prayers, perhaps take a minute or two before the morning prayers. Like you mentioned earlier, take time to wait. Take time to think. Think about your thoughts. Think about what's going through your mind. Be in control. Don't just let the 6,000 thoughts come and go. But take control over our thoughts and it could help with the negative emotions and as well, it can help bring that positivity around us as well. So this is the conclusion of tonight's discussion. Next week, we will continue, same place, same time. We will talk about spirituality. We'll talk about how do we gain a sensitivity to something which seemingly is a little bit foreign to us, or maybe abstract, we can't touch it, we can't feel it, maybe we don't relate to it. We know we have a soul, but what does that mean? How, we, how, do, we, how do we make them something more concrete out of it? So we will discuss some of the meditations in, in regards to spirituality 
next week. For those of you who, would like to, who have not signed up and would like to continue, please uh, register. Let me know if you'd like to continue. I am ordering, God willing, the books first thing tomorrow morning. So we'll, we will have it on, in time for next week. So I need to know, um, ideally by then, exactly how many we should order. If you have any questions or any comments, you can either share it on the chat or share it, um, uh, unmute yourself or those of you who are here in person, I'd love to hear your comments and questions. Thank you all for joining us.